Hey, I'm Steve Folland. Thanks for listening. This episode of Being Freelance is supported by FreeAgent, the online accounting software that makes self-assessment and VAT easy. They have been making tax digital for years. To claim your one-month free trial, visit freeagent.com slash beingfreelance. But now, let's find out what it's like being freelance for Squarespace designer Jared Gold. For a while, I thought I was going to be a professional poker player on the internet, and that allowed me to save up a little bit of money to give me the flexibility to say, you know what, I can't stand this job another day. I would argue that the business books were way infinitely cheaper and infinitely more valuable than any of the college classes I ever took. It took a lot of my soul to create that course without wanting to quit. I submitted it and I didn't even put a price on it because I was just like, oh, let's just see if it gets a few signups. I woke up the next morning to like 200 signups. And so I was like really pissed off at myself. Like, oh, why didn't I set a price for this? Yeah, so there is Jared, who is a Squarespace designer and this week's guest on the podcast. You can find details of what he is up to at beingfreelance.com, along with over 160 other guests. If you're new to this, let me tell you, it doesn't matter what they do, those 160 guests. As a, as a living as such, it's all about the being freelance. So whether they are exactly the same job title as you or not, please do check them all out wherever you get your podcast as well be it on apple's platform or on spotify make sure you hit subscribe so you don't miss what keeps coming keep coming don't they <laughs> while while they're here keep on listening also come join us in the community where you can chat about uh, the episodes but also meet other freelancers from around the world basically i found i was having conversations with freelancers in pretty much every country and created the community so that we could all talk to each other we help each other out with our businesses we cheer each other on we have a laugh we do live q a's plenty of live video we have the non-employee awards non-employee of the week is announced every Friday. Yeah, anyway, listen, go take a look, beingfreelance.com. Check out the videos, the articles, the podcasts, and join the community as well. And I will see you in there. Right now, though, let's chat to this week's guest, and that is Squarespace designer Jared Gold. Hey, Jared. Hey, Steve. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for doing this. Really looking forward. There, there, there is a lot going on with you, and I'm excited to, to, to hear about it. So how about we get started, first of all, hearing how you got started, being freelance. Yeah, absolutely. How much time do you have? <laughs> so uh, I'm currently uh, 28, almost 29. I graduated college in December of 2012. So I was 22, about to turn 23. And I just got a degree in information systems and operations management, which sounds a lot fancier than it is. It's just kind of business, kind of IT. And I had my first job out of college. And by the second day, I hated it. And I'm like, how am I going to last here? And uh, have you uh, have you seen the movie Office Space? I haven't. Oh, my God. It's, so it's an American classic. You got to get on that. So uh, um, essentially, there's a scene in Office Space, which uh, depicts, it takes place in like a software company in the 90s, a, a cubicle farm. And there was a line in there where the main character, Peter, goes, every day is the new worst day of my life. <laughs> and um, it's a comedy, by the way. And uh, and that's that's really how I felt. So, you know, I had a little bit of a drive to work every day. And so I decided to actually listen to the four-hour work week on audiobook on my drive. And it just really rewired a lot of my brain in terms of thinking about, you know, do I really want to work a job that is not for me for 30, 40 years to retire one day 
when maybe I'm too old to even enjoy it, right? So I was like, okay, this this opened the possibility of me maybe doing my own thing. And so I wanted to start a blog to talk about my musings and how all my life I've been lied to. And then, um, <laughs> so I, I, I went to start a blog and I'm like, oh, it's it's pretty hard. And then, but I was listening to some podcasts at the time and I heard about this thing, Squarespace. So I tried out Squarespace and I'm like, oh, this is way easier than all the other platforms and this is fun. So I just kind of went from there, uh, you know, writing on this blog, which I no longer have. I took down years ago, but I enjoyed posting on this blog and customizing it. And when I realized that not everything was doable right in Squarespace to customize exactly how I looked, I decided to, you know, teach myself user experience and some HTML and CSS through different sites. And then I reached out to a few local, uh, one restaurant, one bar, asked to do their websites for free in exchange for, you know, portfolio items, and they were happy, you know, so I did the, I did that in April, and then I got my first paying client in August. And I just figured it would be that easy going forward with that one paying client that went great. It was a girl I knew from college. And um, from there, I just quit my job and decided to do this thing uh, on my own in uh, August of 2013. So you had two things in your portfolio, you had one paid client, and you quit your job. Exactly. Yeah. I had some money saved up from before. For a while, I thought I was going to be a professional poker player on the internet. (laughs) And um, so I was doing that a lot in high school and early college. And so that allowed me to not save up a life-changing amount of money, but save up a little bit of money to give me the flexibility to say, you know what, I can't stand this job another day. I maybe have nine months of living expenses with runway. And even though rent in DC is pretty expensive, I wasn't spending that much otherwise, or the DC area rather. I was was outside in Northern Virginia. And I'm just like, you know what? I I have to do this. I can't can't walk into this office another day. So how did you find your next clients? So the first two, they were freebies. The, the, The third, the first paying client was a friend. How did you grow it from there? So it took me like six months or seven months to really figure it out. There's a lot of things I did unsuccessfully. Uh, I would say that I spent a lot of time going to different networking events. I, I had mixed reviews there. I'll tell you one thing I did that worked well is, you know, I stopped doing bar and restaurant websites soon after I started, but there was a bunch of other bars and restaurants in the same area when I did that, where I did that one free website. And so I just walked in off the street. And I said, hey, I just did a website for your competitor. I'd love to do yours. And that worked out well. And then I also reached out to Squarespace. And I got in at the the right time because they were just starting to put together their experts list called specialists. And so I reached out to Squarespace, which is obviously the platform I use. And I asked, hey, for clients that need help and you want to refer them experts, do you have a list? If so, I'd love to be a part of it. And so they vetted me a little bit and put me on the list. And that that was helpful in getting clients as well. And then really it just kind of slowly snowballed through really like a lot of hustle. And at that time, were you trading as yourself, as Jared Gold? Because it's a great name, by the way. I mean, that sounds that sounds strong as itself. But now I know that you don't use your own name. So were you at the time? It, yeah. So, I mean, I was a one-person business. My first business name was Streamline. And I grew tired of that name very quickly. And then I rebranded to the name Brevity. And I like that name more and people like that name. Uh, and, and the thought was that I 
was maybe going to bring on people or open myself up to bringing on people. So I, I, I was going under those company names, not, not my own name. And at that point in those first couple of years, bearing in mind that you were inspired by the four-hour work week, how was your work-life balance at that time? Well, I think anyone that is a full-time freelancer can probably attest this, at least at the very least starting out, was the overwhelming amount of time you spend is not doing the work, right? Like maybe 30% of your time is doing work. And the rest of the time is trying to win business, meeting people, networking, meeting prospective referral partners. I wasn't working super, super hard. I've never been like that hard of a worker. So I would say work and life kind of blended together, but actual time I was spending on real work, it was, it was probably like five to six hours a day, but I, but I was doing it you know, every day and it just kind of blended in. So there was plenty of screwing around because I didn't even know, it was so early and it, it took me a while to figure out exactly what I should and shouldn't be doing in terms of what is an effective use of my time and what is not and how to generate leads and how to organize things. So I would say my work-life balance was good and it all blended together and and kind of blurred because when you're self-employed, at least starting out, you don't realize that it's good to form different boundaries and uh, expectations so that you don't burn out. What were the things that you figured out that you shouldn't be doing? (laughs) Yeah, I, I think I spent a lot of time looking at software to improve my processes, you know, looking into like a complex CRM or a complex project management tool. And then I realized that like, really what I should be focusing on is closing deals. I shouldn't be trying to just network with people for the sake of networking. I shouldn't be going to a networking event just because it's a networking event and there may be a decent turnout. Really, the majority of my time should be trying to maximize the chance of me getting in front of my prospective clients, at least early on, until I got to the point where other bottlenecks might occur. So, you know, if I, if I get enough clients to where then I need to bring on someone or improve my process, then perhaps I go searching for that tool. But I think a lot of people get so bogged down in thinking about the end result of, oh, I need to have the perfect process and, and all this that they forget that they really should be prospecting, so finding uh, prospective leads, and then actually working on closing deals. So it's just you, but you're trading under a company name. But you've got this idea in your head that actually you quite like to bring on other people. When did you eventually figure you would give that a go? I sometimes for bigger projects brought in like a graphic designer for like mockups or for branding or things like that. But I, I that was kind of as needed. I was still doing the work. And then it wasn't really until I started my new company and was decently in, and that's my main focus now being being website by tonight. And I realized that, you know what, I have a good process here, but I'm the bottleneck in terms of I can only do so much work and I should spend more time now that I have the process and I think I can find some good people because I know exactly what I need uh, in a person and, and what I don't need and where to find these people. So I'm going to make a decision to find other people to do the work so that I can spend my time generating more leads and sales and actually strategic business building stuff. So I think that's like the trigger is when you want to grow and you realize that you yourself are the bottleneck of doing the work and you know what you need to find people to replace you doing the work so you can focus on the more strategic things of growing the business. 
And did that have an impact on, well, on quite a lot of things, actually, financially, for example, like pricing or being able to pay the people you were hiring before you got paid? Like, how did you manage to get all of that right? Or maybe you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm still working on it. I will tell you that, you know, uh, people that read a lot of business books, they probably hear cash flow a lot. So I think it's probably not an instant transition. For example, me, I don't really accept custom website projects anymore through Brevity, my other company. I'm basically just focused on website by tonight. Though Brevity, obviously, I don't really have any expenses because I'm doing the work or the overwhelming majority of the work. So that was all profit. Uh, but I was trading time for money and, and I had to deliver. And so I think for a while, I was running Brevity and Website by Tonight simultaneously and doing all the work. And it was working out well. And as I was I was using Brevity to pay the bills while I refined Website by Tonight's processes and everything. And the money I earned through Website by Tonight was just kind of a cherry on top of what I was earning from Brevity. And then I made a decision where I'm like, you know, I really want to grow Website by Tonight. I see a lot of opportunity here in terms of scalability. So then I slowly started not accepting these custom website projects from Brevity. And so I think it's like a gradual transition. You don't have to make the jump and full leap of faith saying, all right, that's it. Like, I'm just going to hire everyone and hope that the work comes. It can be kind of a more gradual transition into, you know, you starting to send the work to other people to make sure you know everything's working out. And then eventually you take your hands off the, the wheel of actually doing the work and then, you know, focusing your time and energy on lead generation and closing those deals. So then once you kind of get that up and running, it works well. And ideally, your margins are built into your service offering, you know, I would probably recommend at least at the very least 40% margins on whatever offering you're doing. But, at, you know, ideally, it's at least 50. And you can still find good people to do the work for you, uh, especially on a contract basis, if you can pull off the 50% margins. And obviously, you have to close more deals and up the lead generation. But now you have so much more time to do that. And then there's also there is a leap of faith in terms of if you're investing in marketing, there's definitely some runway needed to figure out what marketing channels work and don't work. And obviously there's some there's some trial and error and I've definitely sunk in some money into things that didn't work and then I've invested in some things that did work, but overall I'm trying to keep things pretty lean. And I think it's important to know also in terms of doing the math, hey, here's how many deals I need to close based on these margins and my own expenses. And then here's what I'm willing to spend on acquiring a customer overall because here's the lifetime value of a customer the LTV. So I think it's kind of like a, a math game and being like, okay, I need to close 10 deals a month, which allows me these margins. And at these margins and these prices, I'm willing to spend this amount of money to acquire a customer in whatever ways that is. Yeah, it is such a shift from what you were doing, which is what most of us do, which is set, you know, selling your time for money. And you're saying it all with such sort of business acumen. And I'm sitting here thinking, do you have a mentor at all or is it all through the business books that you clearly enjoy? Well, well, thank you for the, the kind words. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if I'd uh, think so highly of myself, but, but thank you. That's one of the better investments of my time is when I, when I especially had less to do, I was just running through business books. I, I, I don't want to go down a rabbit hole here, but I would argue that the business books were way infinitely cheaper and infinitely more valuable than any of the college classes I ever took. And I think people forget just how valuable books are 
assuming you read them diligently and they're relevant books and you take notes. And I've had a few mentors here and there, and those were kind of unofficial through like networking events and me, you know, doing doing some hustling and, and reaching out and, and politely asking them thoughtful questions. I've never formally asked someone to be my mentor, but I would I would say, you know, it was really nice shoot a follow up email. It was really nice meeting you. Do you mind if I, I really respect the success you've had? Do you mind if I periodically come back to you with some questions as I have them? And if you take that approach, people people would be surprised how many people are willing to actually help them that are super successful. So I've definitely used that, but I've never had like a formal mentor, so to speak, but definitely uh, other successful people in business, uh, including some of those founders of those agencies that I've mentioned that do big sales and big websites and all that, that have sent me leads and, and they've been willing to lend their ear to me and give me some advice as well. So it's, I, I don't think there's any nobility in trying to do it all yourself and uh, just go entirely uphill. I think it makes sense to to ask some people who you admire and respect to have been there for periodic help as you have specific questions or take them to lunch or coffee. But I would say, yeah, business books, business books, as well as trial and error and realizing that the books were right even when I tried other things because I'm, you know, hardheaded. Uh, yeah. So you decide to create this second business website by tonight. And you talked about the fact that, so you're, you're bringing in the sales, other people are doing the work, but the name website by tonight suggests that there is a, a specialist is, is the whole thing as in, I could get a website within one day. That's, that's what that name <laughs> suggests. Is that what it is? Yeah. You know, um, that is doable. And it, it depends on the client. Like you can definitely get a website in one day, really in a matter of like three hours, uh, because we have we have a few different service offerings, one for seven forty nine and one for nine ninety eight. And the seven forty nine one gets you three about three hours total of screen sharing with a designer. And in that time, if you just need a simple and professional website and you and you fill out the project brief and content doc we give you already, yeah, you can definitely get a website in three hours or a tiny bit more. If you need a little bit more design polish, then you know usually it takes a little bit longer. I would say our most common clients, I usually recommend splitting up the screen shares into two separate sessions. And then really the turnaround time is something closer to like a week or a week and a half, depending on your availability and what you choose. I think the website by tonight name more so just kind of came to me because it kind of flowed off the tongue. I don't know. It just like, it just came to me in terms of describing the service and I get a ton of compliments on it and people really like it because I think it's a little bit more, it's not so literal, you know, if you need a website by today or tonight or whatever, you can (laughs) get it. But I think the, the overall purpose is like, Hey, this is kind of an easy, easy button turnkey type thing to if you need a website, this is the quickest and easiest way to get it. And assuming it's a simple, a simple website. And so that's, that was the idea behind it. And, you know, I don't usually like most names I've ever come up with, but I'm pretty proud of that one. What made you choose that, that product that you're doing? What made you go in that direction? I enjoyed doing the custom websites of, of brevity and I enjoyed pushing myself because I don't even consider myself a creative person. Uh, so, so creative work was really a, a stretch for me. It really pushed me and, and was draining. I was enjoying it, but after a while it kind of takes a toll and you, you want to build a, a business that goes beyond you. And I realized that, you know, with brevity, it, it was just hard to bring on someone else 
to do the work that I thought did work as good as me. And I don't mean that like in an arrogant way. Like I think there are competitors of mine that do work that's as good or better, but it's for like a similar price range. So if I want people that do as good a work, I'm like, oh, wait, where are the margins here? And it's challenging to deliver more customized uh, work for for clients in general in wh- whatever capacity you're doing. So um, I came across this guy, Brian Castle, and he has a he has at least one podcast. But the main thing he's known for is productizing your business or a productized service. Have you have you heard of that concept? Yeah, yeah. But go on. So that really resonated with me in terms of I wanted to become. Uh, have you have you read the uh, the E Myth? Funny enough, I'm reading it at the moment. Yes, that book is amazing. And so, uh, I mean, two books that really changed my mindset were The E-Myth, Revisited, and Built to Sell. And the concept behind The E-Myth is like, if I remember, it's an allegory with a woman who's really stressed out. She opens a pie shop because she's so passionate about pies and she's a great baker, but she's in over her head because she's trying to wear all three hats at once. And really what she's better at being right now is is the practitioner. Uh, and there's three, there's three hats in a business: the practitioner, the manager, and the and the business owner. And so I realized with brevity, you know, I was really good at being a practitioner and kind of a manager, but I wasn't really ever being a business owner. And so I wanted to to make money irrespective of the time I put in. So I wanted to kind of build that system of of leverage. And the only way to do that is to bring on uh, team members and to to train them and. Uh, the only way to promote yourself in a business, quote unquote, is to bring on other people. And I actually took Brian's online course and it was really good and I'd recommend it. And and he even matched me in this uh, mastermind with three other people, three other students going through it at the same time. And we have this Slack channel and we, we meet virtually once a week. And that's been really helpful. But as I pro- progress through this and, and change the mindset of, okay, how do I be a business owner? How do I find other people that can do the work? And my job is to set up the systems. I mean, in general, Website by Tonight was kind of a side thing that I did to help out a friend who was a solo practitioner. And normally that kind of work for a web designer is a little bit more on the uninteresting side because it's a smaller budget and it's just like a simple professional website. It's You can't do that much with it, right? There's not too much in terms of creativity or budget. So I'm just like, you know what? Why don't you come over and fill out this document of content and answer these few questions and we'll just do it together. And it turned out great. So I kept doing that. And so I realized, okay, you know, I could solidify the processes a little more here and I can bring on people. And clearly I'm filling a niche of doing these simple professional websites in a way that, you know, if they're done in three hours, it's kind of a fun creative sprint. So stumbling upon that opportunity of these like lower budget folks that are really awesome and just need a simple professional website and they don't need the full overkill consultative multiple rounds of revision website that a lot of people pitch them with unnecessary costs and features and time. It was kind of a perfect storm coming into that and realizing there was this client segment that was underserved that I could serve combined with finding this productized course that helped me when I was just thinking about, hey, I want to become a business owner and, and not just do the work myself like I have been for the past number of years. So it was kind of a, it was a two-pronged, kind of a, a long answer there, but I hope that that clarified it. No, it's interesting. And also, so you took an online course, but now I know you teach an online course. So tell me about that. When did that start? <laughs> sure. So that was my first before I realized that I wanted to build a business out of website by tonight, by, like I said, when I found that friend 
or that friend reach out to me and just need a simple website. I'm like, you know what, this would be good for an online course. And so I thought about all the platforms and I realized Udemy is like the 800 pound gorilla. And there's other platforms to create online courses on, but then I have to like drive traffic to it. And so I realized that I I created on Udemy and it could be a way to generate some passive income, hopefully. And so it, it was a lot of, it is a ton of effort to create an online course. And that course is interesting because there's more courses on Squarespace now on Udemy, but there's still not that many. And at the time there was maybe five or six others. And mine was really unique because I didn't cut it in terms of editing. I worked side by side with a real client to build her website, basically using the same process I would use for Website by Tonight. And, you know, I, it also saved me a little effort in terms of editing it because I didn't want to edit it. And so we just did it side by side and I was hoping people would find it valuable. And so after a ton of trial and error effort, because Udemy is very specific with their uh, QA, making sure every course is high quality, I finally submitted it and it was approved and I was so relieved. And then I submitted it and I didn't even put a price on it because I was just like, oh, let's just see if it gets a few signups. I woke up the next morning to like 200 signups. And those were free signups. Yeah. And so I was like, really pissed off at myself. Like, <laughs> oh, why didn't I set a price for this? And so, yeah, I eventually set a price to it. And, you know, it's still up. And it also, so people can buy it directly or they can go to my website and, and put in their email as kind of a lead magnet. And in exchange, I send them free access to the course. But it, it, took, a, it took a lot of my soul to create that course without wanting to quit. But I'm glad I did. And pretty proud of the outcome. And uh, I think it has a 4.1 or 4.2 star rating now and 2,200 students. So a, a lot of people seem to have found it valuable. But you now have over 2,000 people having signed up. You know, we'll take off the 300 who'd never paid. So you've no intention of taking it down, I presume. So that, so actually that idea of creating a passive, in quotation marks, income has worked. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a little passive. I mean, I've alternated pay, making it paid and free for quite a while. And then Udemy, as good of a platform as it is, does take a pretty high percentage. And they also do a lot of these flash sales where a course is like 80% off. And so I was opting into those for a while. So it, it is it is some passive income, but it's usually not as significant as one might think if they just look at a course, you know, a, high, a, a decently priced course with a ton of signups. So I wish uh, that told all the story. Like I'm, I'm all for passive income and creating information products in, in a way that's because that scales so well. It's the fixed upfront time investment and, and maybe some costs, and then it scales so well if it sells. And I know a lot of people are really invested in that, but to do it well is really, really challenging and an extreme commitment. And so, if anyone's considering that, I would only really consider, hey, are you doing this? because you're really passionate about creating a course or because you think you can just make money doing it. I wish I wish I was more passionate when I was making the course. Like I liked it. It was a good challenge and I had some enjoyment, but I think you need a certain level of passion to really knock it out of the park and to be super committed and resilient during all the challenges of actually making it. It's interesting, you know, hearing what you said there about the the numbers. So actually 
because if you see that 2,000 people have taken your course, that makes you think, oh, then I will take that course because that's a very high number. must be very popular. must be very good. I'm not saying it isn't, by the way. Mm-hmm. But, but of course, that doesn't mean that they all paid that amount. There were flash sales. There were times that it was free. But I'm just thinking if somebody was putting out a course, actually, that's not a bad sort of tactic in that you get the numbers up and then it kind of helps to market itself because it's proven to be popular. Especially because people do rate it. It's not like, you know, if if they bought or got given the course for free and then it was rubbish, then they would rate it low, right? Exactly, yeah. Like, that's kind of the standard in marketing now is, you know, reviews are really important. And because they're so important, people are willing to give discounts or free access in exchange for ideally honest reviews. Like I didn't pay, I didn't give my course to anyone and say, hey, sign up and give this a five stars. I would maybe say, you know, here's discount access or, and this is way early on. I haven't done this anytime soon, but give someone free access and say, hey, if, you know, if you get value from it, I'd greatly appreciate a positive review. And I think that's just kind of the standard. And I think people need to expect that. But social proof is so valuable now with sites like Amazon you automatically gravitate towards reviews because you see that other people are doing it. That's how the the human brain is wired. And so if you're just getting started with some sort of like online, like an e-commerce thing or an online product or an online course, it's really important that when you launch, you have a strategy to let people know about it and ideally give people free or cheap access in order to, and ask them for a positive review if they, if if that was their experience and that really gets the fire going because it's hard you know if you if you just launch a product or a course the last thing you want is for you worked all this time on this and super hard only to have total crickets when you when you launch so with website by tonight just to go to go back a few steps <laughs> you hire freelancers to do the websites as in you don't have permanent staff right Correct. Yeah. And that, and that really allows me to have a better pool of people. I want to have a bigger pool of people because I try to match people to the designers that are best for them based on like their personality type and aesthetic taste. And then it just allows me to keep costs low because I don't think there's any benefit in necessarily hiring staff for this model versus contractors. And especially with creatives, a lot of people like being freelancers because it allows them to take on different projects of all kinds and be their own boss. And so it allows you to get really good talent at a good rate that doesn't have a ton of overhead. And then to be honest, it is really draining. It's already draining doing creative work, but it's really draining doing creative work in front of someone while talking to them on a screen share, (laughs) you know, like, so hiring someone full time, I mean, I would doing screen share websites for eight hours a day. I don't know anyone that can survive that. (laughs) So I, I, you need to have a, a good, a good pool of people to rotate and, uh, my designers really enjoy doing one or two of these a week and it, and it keeps yeah. their week fresh, but it doesn't burn them out because they're not doing it the eight hours a day. I, I think even if I wanted full-time staff, I don't even think I'd be able to get it. Like in terms of a full, full-time person designing websites over screen share, I think it would just be too taxing. When it comes to the other tasks in your business, do you hire help in, in other ways other than the actual building the websites? Yeah, I've, hired some designers to create external marketing collateral. I hired a marketing person to create uh, a certain kind of marketing plan for me. I hired an ops person to help me create some processes 
And in the meantime, also do a little bit of research. Yeah, so I've, I've brought on other people. I think, I think it's kind of hard to figure out exactly when you need to bring someone on because it's kind of hard to forecast consistent growth of your business unless it's happened the past like two or three months in a row. So I think that's a challenge is not only knowing when to bring someone on, but what exactly that role entails. And if it's one role or two roles or three roles, because if it's two or three roles in one, it's really hard to find that perfect person. And then knowing exactly what you need that person to do and committing to training them and committing to, you know, also keeping an eye on them and make sure they're doing good work. So I, I've, I've brought on these people with different levels of success and they were, they've all been awesome people. It's just like, you know, I, I'm, I'm new to all this. I'm still figuring out what I should bring people on for and what I shouldn't and, and what those roles entail. Before I thought I could bring on like a lead generation and salesperson all in once. And then what I realized is like, those are two separate skills and I should just hire a sales assistant down the road to replace me. And I should do the marketing for now until I have a decent budget. And then I bring on a marketing person. So it's, it's tough to figure out the right balance of when to bring, bring people on and what that looks like. And then when it comes to all the finances and things like that, you do all that yourself. Yeah, I do have an accountant. I would send out all my own invoices before, but now I have a simple checkout process through a hidden page on my website that I send clients to. And so they just select the package, hit checkout, enter their card info, and they're sent an automatic receipt. And I receive that deposit via, via Stripe into my bank account um, pretty quickly, maybe in a matter of days. So now I don't manually send out invoices, which if you're doing a high volume of work, it's really exhausting sending out invoices as well as sending out proposals. Even if you have like the right tools, it's just not really stuff you want to do. So I, I eliminated the invoice process because I didn't think it was adding much value. And I just had a, had a hidden page with different packages where a client can check out and pay when they're ready. So I send those out, but I do have an accountant to, de- to deal with my taxes at the end of the year and maybe be a business therapist throughout the year if needed. So yeah, so even when it would have been an invoicing situation, you still went for the click a button thing, which also would have meant that you would have got deposits up front and avoided lots of issues that way as well. Exactly, yeah. I only take payment in full up front and you'd be surprised when you ask for that how many people are good with it. And I think what helps is when you have different sources of credibility, and I say, you know, let's say you're 30 minutes up to 30 minutes into your first screen share and it's just not working out. You're welcome to end the session and, and request a refund. And knock on wood, I've never had to give a refund at, at some point after 90 of these website by tonight projects. I'm sure at some point I'll have to, but I, I do a really heavy job qualifying the leads up front. I, I don't allow anyone to just go on my site and purchase. They have to book a call, which right now every time is through me down the road, it, it ideally be with like a sales assistant. But then I really heavily qualify the, the the prospect and let them know exactly what they're getting and what they're not getting and confirming that they're the kind of fit. And I think with that super lead qualification process, I haven't had to give any refunds and people are really, they know exactly what they're getting. And so they're, they are comfortable paying in full up front. And I think that makes life easier because then I can, once I get that up front, I can instantly pay my contractors the second the work is done and and launched and so they get i get paid quickly they get paid quickly and the client gets to take ownership of the site immediately and i don't have to chase him or her down for invoices now i always do this thing where i ask for three facts about yourself to make two true and one a lie what have you got for me jared 
Okay, let me see. Point one, I've been to six countries in South America. Point two, I was a yo-yo teacher in second grade. Point three, I was once chased by a three-legged dog. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, I mean, the fact is three-legged dogs exist. I remember when I was a kid, there was a three-legged dog on a street near us, and it could move just as fast as the other dogs. So I don't doubt to <laughs> chase you. Were you chased by one? There's the thing. Six countries in South America. I mean, that's... Pff, okay, no, here's the thing. Which six countries did you go to? Let's see. I went to Brazil, Colombia, Argentina, Paraguay, and then Uruguay, and also Peru. And which was your favorite? Oh, it was definitely Brazil. That was the best trip I ever took. You were a yo-yo teacher. So when you were in second grade, so how old is that? I must have been about eight. Must have been eight. So were you charging people to learn? (laughs) Or were you just like, how does, what's a yo-yo teacher? I presume we're talking about actually teaching somebody how to use a yo-yo. And that's not just a phrase from America for something I've not heard of. Right. There's no, there's no metaphor there. It's a a toy yo-yo. And I was, I was teaching them, sure, how to use it, but I would say how to do certain tricks and uh, with increasing difficulty. So like the yo-yo people came to my kindergarten uh, and that was a, that was a big fad when I was in that age and they came to my kinder they did an assembly in uh in front of my kindergarten and the rest of the elementary school and i was so blown away that i went to my parents i'm like i need a yo-yo and i was yo-yoing for hours a day and i became so good i was briefly a a yo-yo teacher in second grade and i did actually receive two weeks of a paycheck once and then they were like listen you're eight years old we can't give you a paycheck or something what was your favorite trick what was the name of your favorite trick Oh, God, do I remember? It's hard to remember the tricks. There was one called Splitting the Atom, which was a pretty fancy trick and different variations of that. And that's that's the one that was always like, it looked the coolest and people, it got the best response. And where was the three-legged dog? That was in the mountains in California, like in the Sierras. I was like turning the corner and there was a dog uh, a Rottweiler just like chilling in the corner. A Rottweiler? Yeah. And then I was like slowly back. And I was like really young. I must have been like seven years old as well. And I was just backing away from it slowly. And it started like following me down the hill. And I just started like yelling. Uh, and then I turned around and I was like, it wasn't. And then I realized it wasn't like chasing me aggressively. It just wanted someone to play with. It wasn't like, you know, foaming <laughs> at the mouth in anger. Um, so, uh, yeah, that. Um, that's the three-legged Rottweiler. Oh, my God. Okay, the yo-yo one was very convincing. And then I asked you about the trick, and you didn't know any. But then you did, and so I came back to believing that one again. That felt very true. You spoke about that one with so much passion. The three-legged dog was South I mean, South America, I can't decide whether you went to South America and did that, or you would just be great in a pub quiz at, <laughs> at listing countries of south america oh three-legged do- but i wasn't expecting it to be a rottweiler like running away from a rottweiler and then saying a rottweiler wanted to play with you that confuses me because that kind of sounds like that must be true because that is not what i would ever think about a rottweiler forgive me if you're a rottweiler <laughs> owner listening i oh gosh i don't know okay i'm gonna say South America is the lie. 
That is absolutely true. I've only been to one, or it's absolutely true that that was the lie. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. I've I have I have been to Brazil, and I'm going to Colombia for three weeks starting next Sunday through a thing called Hacker Paradise, which is essentially like a remote co-working community. So that will only be the second country I've ever been to in South America. Wow. I, so that means the three-legged dog story was totally it was to- true. To- that's totally <laughs> true. <laughs> good, good read on me. Good read. Okay, that's cool. That's interesting, that, that Hacker Paradise thing. So what's that? Have you done anything like that before? No, and I know there's a bunch of others like it, but this is like the first one to ever do it. So it's like, it's you could be, you know, a self-employed freelancer, independent consultant, or you can just work for a job that allows you to work remotely. And you just, yeah, you just go for a certain amount of time, however long or short as you want. I think the minimum is two weeks. And they travel around the world and they have this like community and great co-working and, and living environment and people do fun stuff so I'm, I'm really really excited to join it for three weeks bearing in mind that we started with tim ferris and the four-hour work week do you perhaps harbor some sort of idea of maybe making that change into location independence you're based in washington dc but it sounds like really you could be anywhere yeah, like in theory, I, I could. I don't ever want to be a digital nomad. I respect the people that do that. And I understand that takes a certain kind of person. I think I would get tired of traveling all around. And I like having like a community and like roots set down, so to speak. So, I, but I, I, I like the idea of trying this out just to see what it's like. And, you know, challenge myself with that setup and be open to like alternative living arrangements. Um, and and traveling lightly and also like having this cool experience and getting motivated, working around other people, building their stuff and, you know, changing my mindset for new, fresh ideas. I I didn't get a chance to take a vacation last year and I'm like, okay, well, can I take a vacation and also have it have work value? And so I'm like, here we go. Best of both worlds. Cool. Have fun. Send us a postcard. So (laughs) if you could tell your younger self one thing about being freelance, what would that be? I would say get used to figuring out marketing and sales. I mean, I don't know if I can pick one thing. I think a few big ideas is like get used to figuring out marketing and sales because you you can't just do the work forever and you're not going to want to. And then the other thing is try to think of ways to bring on other people as opposed to doing everything yourself. Get out of your own way. If I had to pick two things, that was what, that's what I'd say. Nice. Yeah. It's interesting because, you know, you say, you know, you you won't want to do this forever. And I think that's because you make it sound like you you came at freelancing from a position of not wanting to be stuck in that cubicle of like wanting to do your own thing, pushing yourself and testing yourself and stuff. As in it wasn't from a place of I'm a passionate creative designer and I just want to design. <laughs> exactly. It was, it, you came at it from the lifestyle side of things and then realized, well, this is what it seems to me from speaking to you. You came at it from lifestyle and then realized actually you really enjoyed the business bit of it and um, combining the two. That's a great summary. That's exactly right. Well, all the best with it. It's been really great chatting to you. Go to beingfreelance.com. You can find out what Jared is up to. Links through to a website by tonight and, you know, everything else, you know, all socials so you can find him online. 
So yeah, go take a look, bingfreelance.com. While you're there, of course, check out the articles that I write and the vlog, which is me documenting my own freelance journey, where instead of just talking to other people, actually me doing it. So you can uh, you can find that at bingfreelance.com. It would be awesome if you hit subscribe on the podcast and on YouTube. But the biggest favour you could do me, of course, as ever, is by sharing this with other people, be it in real life or online. Let's help somebody else with being freelance as well. But for now, Jared, thank you so much and all the best being freelance thanks so much uh, really really appreciate you having me and enjoyed chatting with you and uh keep up the good work 